I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Earlier this month, in a preemptive challenge from Ameren Pharma against the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, a federal judge ruled that the FDA cannot prohibit a drug maker from promoting the off-label use of a drug if it does so through the dissemination of truthful and non-misleading information. The decision about the First Amendment rights of a pharmaceutical company is seen as a significant ruling in a long-standing battle between the agency and the industry that has played out over the past 20 years. We spoke to John Camp, executive director of the Coalition for Healthcare Communication, about the case, the issues behind it, and the implications for how the industry and agency will act going forward. John, thanks for joining us. Great. Glad to be with you. We're going to discuss a recent U.S. district court ruling that some have called one of the most significant rulings concerning the First Amendment protection of pharmaceutical companies for off-label promotion. This is the case of Ameren and its preemptive challenge of the FDA over its drug Vizcepa, which is approved to treat adults with severely high levels of triglycerides. Perhaps we should begin with the issue of off-label marketing itself. In simple terms, what is off-label marketing? Good question. Essentially, what happens is that the FDA approves a drug for a specific use, but the um, the clinicians, the doctors across America, can use the drug for any use that they think is helpful with their patients. So many uses of drugs are so-called off-label. They're not the, the use that was approved by the FDA, but they're uses that uh, clinicians find useful. And this is a a pretty uh, widespread uh, phenomena. For example, in certain areas like oncology, uh, pediatrics, and others, uh, uh, psychiatry, um, many drugs, um, many more drugs are used off-label than than on-label. So uh, when you talk about this issue, you you shouldn't think about it as being sort of the authorized use of a drug because off-label uses are authorized and they're um, widely uh, prescribed and widely paid for by uh, the uh, the government and Medicare and Medicaid and uh, by insurance companies. So in many cases, actually, it's the uh, sort of state-of-the-art use of the drug uh, in, cl- in, in clinics is uh, uh, off-label use. Off-label use is not only legal, but it's common practice, as you mentioned, and the FDA has acknowledged the benefits of off-label use. But off-label marketing is another story. The FDA has seen this as a violation of the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, even though it's not specifically prohibited. They've identified this as misbranding. Can you explain the FDA's approach? 
Well, the approach of the FDA pretty much is this. Uh, I was raised Catholic. Uh, if the Pope said it, he was infallible when he was in his chair. Uh, and essentially, when it comes to marketing, the FDA takes the position that the, the company that uh, is the sponsor of the drug, essentially the seller of the drug, can only talk about on-label uses and not about off-label uses. And that, in effect, takes uh, one of the most important uh, uh, communicators and, and sources of knowledge about a drug out of the conversation with with uh, the doctors and clinicians that are using the drug. This was a preemptive strike from Ameren. Can you explain how they ended up squaring off against the FDA on this issue? Well, yeah, this is a, like all cases, every case is unique. This one, this one had some unique aspects of it. Um, the, the specific drug in, in the case here is essentially a derivative of fish oil, which is also used, uh, as a, um, a, a nutraceutical and, and, and oftentimes, uh, is used, uh, uh, there, uh, without a prescription. And this, this is a, this is a prescription form of essentially the same compound that is, uh, uh not in, not always in prescription form. And in, in this case, the, the prescription use of it for, uh, first understand that the use of this drug uh, on label was for very high people with very high cholesterol levels. Uh, and the, uh, I think the, it definitionally the, was 500 milligrams per deciliter. Yeah, that's right. And so, um, that, that's a, that, that's sort of an exceedingly high, uh, uh, a level of cholesterol. But when it was being used and being advertised, uh, as a nutraceutical, it could be advertised for its sort of normal high levels of cholesterol. Which was, but I think, considered 200 to 500 form. milligrams right. per deciliter. Yeah, so essentially you have a situation here where the prescription use of the drug on label was very limited, but, uh, but the non-prescription use of, of the same compound, uh, was, was more broadly used and the, the sellers of it in that form were, were able to advertise and, and market it in, in, in ways that the prescription form wasn't being used. And essentially what Ameren wanted to do was to be able to sell the same compound in the same way that their competitors, the, the folks who were selling it as a nutraceutical, uh, were doing. And so you have a very, you have a, you have a very sort of, uh, an unusual situation that was faced by the court here where essentially the company came and said, all we really want to say is what our competitors in the marketplace can say. What did Ameren want to do in terms of sharing information with doctors about off-label use of its drug? Wasn't this essentially sharing clinical trial results? Yes, for the most part. And and this was all part of the uh, the inside baseball part of this story. Essentially, what Ameren came to the quote came to the court and said, we want to share these specific pieces of clinical trial results that appeared in peer-reviewed journals, medical journals. We want to be able to share those uh, with clinicians, and we want our uh, not only 
medical science liaison to do so, but we want our salespeople, the, the people who do direct sales to doctors, to be able to talk about these things. And in uh, in the inside, again, sort of the inside baseball part of this, uh, it was narrowed to uh, several of these uh, 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 clinical trial reports in peer-reviewed journals that they wanted to use, that the FDA said that if they did use them, that would be evidence of intent to distribute the drug off-label. And and again, that's uh, the 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 strict legal term or the legal limit that uh, the hammer that FDA has over the drug company uh, for the marketing of drugs. Not so much uh, what the F, what some might say was a uh, a censoring of what would be said, but the censoring of the intent to distribute these materials off-label. And what did the judge rule? Well, the, the judge said it was really an academic dis, uh, a distinction and that uh, uh, the the companies had a First Amendment right, essentially, to tell the truth about the product. Um, essentially, the, the, the idea that the First Amendment applies to commercial speakers as well as to you and I as individual speakers has been part of the law since the 1970s. This drug approval scheme, which includes the essential, the essentially um, banning of off-label discussions by the seller of the drug, predated that. It was the 1960s uh, amendments to the Food and Drug Act that uh, came well before the constitutional law of commercial speech developed in the 70s, 80s, 90s, still developing today. Um, the, the the judge said that the, this developing constitutional law essentially preempts the law of the FDA, and to the extent that the FDA prosecutes or even threatens to prosecute companies for telling the truth about their products, then they violate the First Amendment. In making its ruling, the court relied heavily on the analysis in the Cronia case, a, a case where a salesman's conviction for off-label marketing had been overturned because the court ruled that he could not be convicted for the dissemination of truthful information. The the Ameren decision actually builds on a long-standing battle between the industry and the FDA. Can you walk us through that a little? Well, again, we sort of go back to the point that the 62 amendments to the Food and Drug Act were the amendments that created this scheme of regulation which enabled the, um, the, the prosecution of companies for promoting marketing off-label. And then the, 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 the so-called commercial speech doctrine, the application of the First Amendment to commercial speakers, to corporations, as well as to individuals, developed in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. So what, what we, we, we essentially have here um, is a, 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 a constitutional application to a set of rules that created the, the constitutional uh, decisions by the Supreme Court. Um, you you talked about the Coronia case. It's a very good example, and essentially, it's an example of a case that was tried in the 
appeals court of this lower court uh, a few years earlier, and essentially it was, as, as you stated, a, 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 a drug crump company representative, a salesperson for a drug company, was convicted uh, um, uh, for the selling of the drug, of the intentional marketing of the drug off-label. The court in that case invalidated that that uh, uh, conviction, saying that he had a First Amendment right, in a sense, to tell the truth about the product, because what the drug company representative was doing was distributing uh, materials from uh, clinical trials that were in um, uh, medical journal articles uh, about the drug. In fact, the drug later was approved for the uses that the, the drug company representative was uh, was selling the drug. So essentially, he the um, the, the uh, FDA. Uh, essentially approved the, the 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 activity after the fact, but since he said it before the FDA had approved it, he was he was going to go to jail for that. Anyway, the controlling precedent in the, uh, for the Ameren judge was this Peronia case, which essentially. Uh, said the same thing that the judge said applied in the Ameren case, and that is that the First Amendment doesn't allow for the FDA to, to criminally convict or otherwise uh, uh, punish someone for telling the truth about their product. The Ameren decision was a ruling on Ameren's motion for a preliminary injunction. It was It was also made in the same district as the Coronia decision. How sweeping an impact do you expect it to have? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, uh, the, the the question actually can be uh, explored in the context of what might the FDA do next. The FDA had originally taken the position and took the position in the Ameren case that the Peronia um, uh, precedent only applied in the Second Circuit where Coronia was decided, and that Coronia had largely been wrongly decided. The court in Ameren, uh, clearly the judge in Ameren said that uh, he read Coronia differently, that it was very broad, should be broadly construed as to protect the, the right of companies to speak. And so the uh, the the decision now is whether or not the FDA has 30 days to appeal this, maybe appeal it to um, the the same appeals court that decided Coronia to see if it could get a different result in Coronia, uh, or maybe to get the same result in Coronia so that it could appeal it to the Supreme Court of the United States. But in any case, right now, the the decision is only uh, binding on the FDA in the Second Circuit, which is essentially New York and a couple surrounding states, and not uh, across the United States. And the FDA is has the has to make the decision whether it wants to accept this this ruling or appeal it. And we're not sure what it might do. It had some other. Uh, 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 alternative uh, uh, ways of acting that uh, it could do. It could decide essentially to uh, put the whole thing on hold while it uh, does an open proceeding on uh, the question. Uh, 
uh, an, an effect of rulemaking kind of proceeding to decide what, how it might uh, change it rule, its rules to comport to the decisions in Coronia and Ameren. Uh, that's the, uh, the, the road that I would recommend that they take. Essentially, when your loss in the court is inevitable, uh, don't continue to fight it. Uh, instead, uh, you know, uh, go, go the third way or a different way. And, and here the FDA could very well do that. I would recommend that because the FDA is still has the false and misleading opportunity, as I might call it. Essentially, the FDA is not totally preempted from uh, bringing suits against companies that that uh, bring uh, that that market their drugs uh, they think improperly in a false and misleading way. And what the FDA could do is open a proceeding right now and make a determination. Um, in an open proceeding, what false and misleading means. And that wouldn't be a difficult thing for it to do. And frankly, uh, they could look to their sister agency, the Federal Trade Commission, who also has broad authority over false uh, advertising, which has been using a false and misleading definition that's worked for it uh, over the virtually 100 years of its existence that has not been subject to uh, limitations under the First Amendment because it essentially has only brought cases against those companies that bring the default emphasis. How do you expect pharmaceutical companies to act differently following the decision? Well, you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure exactly how. I think they're, they're, they, they may be all over the map. Um, most companies, especially large pharmaceutical companies, are going to wait and see. Uh, as uh, you had alluded to in an earlier question, this essentially um, disagreement over whether or not the First Amendment applies to the FDA and FDA marketing regulations of drugs has been going on for about 20 years. Uh, uh, a predecessor case that the FDA uh, a won in kind of a standoff uh, is as old as 20 years old, the uh, Washington Legal Foundation uh, case. Uh, companies uh, are going to be, especially the large companies with a lot of, a lot at stake are going to be, I think, pretty conservative and wait for the FDA to act and to approve certain kinds of, of, uh, marketing as neither false or misleading rather than move forward, uh, and be very aggressive. But small companies that have only one drug and maybe have a lot at stake at that um, may be more aggressive and move more quickly. But I think for the most part, the industry is uh, going to be uh, very conservative and not move quickly on it. John Camp, Executive Director of the Coalition for Healthcare Communication. John, thanks so much for your time today. All right. Thank you. I was uh, glad to join you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.